Well, I'm going to talk about vision. Not the vision of the church. I did that during stewardship. I'm going to talk about your vision. How you set vision as an individual, your vision for your family, how you establish growth momentum toward increased provision and blessing of the Lord, uh, and, and you know how you proceed down the path of His will and purpose for your life. Your vision is what will make those determinations. And the reason I want to talk about your vision, I mean, I've already talked about the church's vision, spent four Sundays doing that, setting our marks, our goals and objectives for the coming year. But the truth of the matter is, our ability to achieve the corporate vision is really dependent to a degree on you making the vision God has for your life, which will involve the ability to supply what you're required to supply to the vision of God through this ministry. Hello, you here. So this is about your vision. How do you set vision for your life and your family? Do you do that? And I, I would imagine, based on the things that I hear during the course of the year, that I've always been aware of, during 40 years of doing this, uh, you know, it's like, yes, I know the Bible says, uh, like in Proverbs, where there is no vision, oh, there it is, where there is no vision, the people perish, this is Proverbs 29, 18. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, vision goes beyond the word. But if keeping the principle of God's word, and that's all the law refers to, the law is the word of God. Now it was a legalistic approach back in the old covenant before Jesus went to the cross. That's why it's referred to as law, but it's the word. And he's saying that, uh, you know, vision can exist. He makes this truth uh, uh, aware, understandable to us that where there is going to be an effective vision, there has to be first a determination to base your life on the Word of God. I mean, you're not going to be able to pursue anything God has for you if you're not interested in understanding the Word of God and shaping your life to accommodate it. Your choices need to be shaped by the Word of God. It's God who said, I've set before you this day life and blessing, death and cursing, therefore choose life. You know, he, 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 his will for you is life. It's blessing. But he made you a free moral agent and he will respect your choice. That is the way he created you. So you need to see that when death and cursing show up in your life, don't point at God and say, he's mad at me. I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to do last week. I sinned last week. I did something wrong last week. He's hammering me. No. He's already judged your sin at the cross of Jesus, past, present, and future. Anything you've ever done that falls in that category, anything that you are doing that falls in that category or will do that falls in the category of sin has already been judged at the cross of Jesus. So it's not the Lord judging you when you sin 
and you experience the touch of death and cursing, you've chosen that path. And it's important that we see and understand this. The Word of God is a revelation of what is life and blessing and what is death and cursing. So you know, you have the information. And he says, now choose life. That means choose to base your life on the Word of God. Like the individual in 29, 18. Now, vision can happen. It can't happen in a life that isn't grounded on the Word. Not God's vision. But he makes it clear that if you don't have a plan marked by goals and objectives, in Philippians 3.13, they're called marks. You know, I press toward what? The mark. Well, if you don't do any vision setting for your own life, there are no marks you can press toward. Don't wonder why your Christianity seems stagnant and you're not moving forward. You have to be deliberate about setting vision in your own life. Well, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I've only got 20 minutes left. But we will get it done. The Lord will get his points across. So I wanna talk to you about the process of setting vision in your own life. It's an individual thing, and it's a marital thing, marriage. Something you do with your spouse, where the family is concerned, you vision set together. Hey guys, you're not the king of your household. Unilaterally deciding where everybody's gonna go and what everybody's gonna do. That's not what it means to be head of the family. We're told that when we're married, we become one with somebody else. Decision-making if you're married, always involves your spouse. Amen. And the head of the home, who is called by the word, the man, is needed as head only for those points in time when you have prayed together about a particular decision and there is still a disagreement. Yes. I've only had this happen once or twice. Because when you disagree with your spouse, if you understand the importance of being in lockstep together, striving together, one heart, one mind for the faith of the gospel, you won't allow differences to continue. I'm talking about life. You may, you may like different color carpet than he or she does. That's not it. It's talking about life issues and how you're going to live. And when there's a difference, you sit down together and you pray together and the Lord will bring one toward the other. Don't be holding on to having to be right. It has to be your opinion. You have to have a pure heart in this, and you say, okay, all I want is the will of God. I acknowledge the fact that I've made one or two mistakes in my lifetime. Could be I'd make another one, so I want to listen to what the Lord says through my spouse. And you sit there, and you pray together with this mindset, one of you, will get a nudge from the Holy Ghost to change your view a little bit and you can get in agreement. Hugely important. But before you get to that place in the goal setting process where you and your spouse are dealing with family issues, you've gotta do it individually. You need to set some goals individually for your body, 
fitness issues, eating issues. Where can you make a vow to the Lord? I'm reminded of a, a story about R.W. Schombach years ago. Wonderful evangelist, wonderful man of God. Yeah, he's a great guy, great, great man of God. And he had an altar call at one of his meetings, which were always packed. And so the altar was filled with people because the altar call was, if you want to quit smoking, come on up. And uh, so, you know, the altar was packed with people. And the first thing he had them do was if you have any cigarettes or uh, uh, cigarette lighters or anything like that on you, throw them on the platform. Give them to the Lord. And so, man, the platform was filled with that kind of paraphernalia and cigarettes and, and whatnot. And then he said, I want you to repeat after me, God Almighty. And everybody said, God Almighty. If I smoke another cigarette, and they said, if I smoke another cigarette, you can strike me dead. <laughs> Not a sound came out. Not a sound. And he gave a little lesson on commitment and why commitment is important. I mean, when you make a commitment to God, it carries a weight in your ability to follow through with things your body, your, your natural, your carnal man doesn't want to do. <laughs> How did I get on R.W. Schombach, Lord? You're going to have to get me back to, to my message. You start out with personal things. I mean, if your spouse doesn't smoke, you know, they're eating right, they're fit, and they're looking good, you know, they may not have the, any of the same things to concern themselves with that you do. So you start off dealing with your life in all three arenas, physical, relational, and if you've got problems with unresolved conflict in any of your relationships, don't be pointing the finger at the other parter party, you can eliminate the conflict yourself without having to violate your refusal parameters. That's another sermon. Conflict resolution is an entire uh, message that I don't have time to get into. But the point is, we all have uh, physical things that we need to set goals in, relational things we need to set goals in, and financial things. And of course, financial is really where you should start probably because the Bible says in Luke 16, 11, that your management of unrighteous mammon or money, your management of money is the least in which you're required to be faithful. Meaning the biggest challenge for any of us is going to be doing with our money what we should be doing. So this is the least. And he says that if you're not faithful in that which is least, you won't be faithful in that which is much. So I would start with money and our personal goal setting process. And so personally, what is it materially that you would like to acquire that takes money to acquire? What, what kind of money, first of all, you start out with need. Now, in setting goals where money is concerned, whether it's you individually or in the marriage relationship as a family, or whether it's in your business, whatever it may be, starting out with money 
well, let me see. How do I keep from getting into a 20-minute discussion? Well, let me just say, okay, on a personal basis, you distinguish between extravagance and, and what would be appropriate to set as a financial goal by the difference between need and want. Needs are never extravagant. Needs are something God says he wants to meet whether you put seed in the ground or not. It's his will that your needs be met. And so if you're setting goals, there's no question about needs being met. The question is how far beyond the need toward wants do you go? Extravagance is defined as when you want something so badly, you put it in a financial place of priority above need. That's how you determine extravagance. Otherwise, God doesn't begrudge you having a million dollars more than you need. 10 million more than you need. A billion more than you need. So, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have time to spend on both, you know, family financial goal setting, personal financial goal setting. So let's, let me do this kind of in a general sense, whether you're setting personal needs or you've gotten beyond that, and now you and your wife are establish, or husband are establishing family need, level of need, depending on the children you've got. Man, I'll tell you. It's an important lesson to learn that your kids have to learn that extravagance will destroy God's ability to bring financial blessing to you. And extravagance is going after your wants at the expense of your need or the family's need in some other area. And, I, you know, we see this a lot. We, meaning in the ministry, when we counsel people, you know, we see it a lot. Somebody went and bought a, a guy bought a fishing boat, but his family hardly had money to buy groceries. That's, that's wrong. That's extravagance. God isn't going to be honoring your faith for, you know, enough money to buy, buy something grand and wonderful I mean, he wants those things for you. He says he gives you richly all things to enjoy. God doesn't begrudge you having things. It's just what you, how you establish priorities in pursuing those things. You start with need. And then you move to, okay, wants. You do this on an individual basis. You do it on a family basis. You do it on any other corporate uh, body or group that you're part of, that you're a contributor to, or perhaps a business that you own. You do the same thing there. Getting the needs identified, and then how far toward wants do you go? God said he'll meet your needs. If you're a tither, he will meet your needs. That is a promise of the word of God. So how far do you go beyond need toward wants? 
if he's going to take care of your needs, I mean, I, I, I want a few things that, that cost hundreds of millions of dollars, like a nonprofit airline. You know, I want some things uh, personally that, so where do, how do you measure where extra, extravagance comes? Uh, once, you, once need is met, extravagance can still occur if needs are met and you're pressing toward a want and you find out where that level of extravagance is by your expectation. There are some things I've set as goals and objectives that have really fallen in the category almost of tempting God because they were so far out there. I mean, the Lord doesn't begrudge us having a billion dollars. But he wants us to prioritize where we apply our faith in ways that are most consistent with his priorities. And he says that expectation is always the final step in maturation of your faith. It's the final step before manifestation. You've heard me preach this over and over again. Faith is a growing process. It's a journey. Many parts of the development of faith are lifelong journeys. And you know that you are at the end of that particular journey of faith, depending on what you're believing for, when you actually expect it. You're not just kind of trying to act in faith. You've decided to believe the word. You believe this is a good thing. You believe it's the will of God. But you just... You can't get there yet in the sense of expecting it. There are a lot of things that I've believed for and prayed for both personally and in the ministry. That I just, I'm hanging it out there, but I know this isn't something that I have the expectation to receive right now. I just can't seem to expect it. And so, being honest with yourself as to where your expectation currently falls tells you where that next definition of extravagance is going to become relevant. Because if you're pushing beyond what you can believe for, and you'll know that in your heart, there are things that I believe for that I knew. Man, this almost falls in the category of tempting God. I'm not, I'm not in faith for this. I mean, I believe that it's the will of God because I see it in the word. Or I believe that the Lord, you know, would be blessed for me to be blessed in this way if he loves me as he says he does. But I, I couldn't expect it. It was more than my faith could manage at that point in time. So that's folly. When you set a goal or objective or marks, vision, always definable by goals and objectives. If you set a vision that, you know, is so lofty, you can't really expect it. You're wasting your time and you're going to set yourself up for frustration. So in goal setting. Be sure you don't ever prioritize a need beneath a want. No, yeah, no, How, wait a minute. Did I say that right? You don't ever go after a want 
while there's still a need that hasn't been met in that particular arena. Because that's one definition of extravagance. But even after needs have been taken care of, you're no longer concerned about putting groceries on the table or paying the rent or uh, having enough money to, for transportation to or from one point or another. You know, needs are met. Now you can go beyond things that you want. So don't just waste your time by, by setting a goal or an objective or having a vision for something you can't possibly reach. Because you, you have, don't have any expectation for it. As we said this morning, getting ready to lay hands on the sick. You know, the just shall live by faith. And so if we're living by something else, wishful thinking, then, you know, this is going to be a frustrating journey for you. I've got to end this thing already, and I'm not, I'm not anywhere near through, so I may have to do this a little bit more at some other time. I, I didn't get out of the first service until a quarter of. So, um, you know, with the playoff games going today, I just can't be late. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, that's, that's an example of uh, misplaced priorities. But the truth be, you know, the church can only meet our division uh, uh, that God has for this ministry if he's able to meet the vision he has for you. Because in that vision for you is enough financial capacity, if that's the area of goal setting we're talking about, enough financial capacity uh, to make your supply whatever is necessary for the church's vision to come to pass. So, you know, it's important to all of us that you get it right with your vision that are joined lockstep with you in faith. You do your vision setting for yourself personally, for your family. And then that'll position you in that vision process of vision setting. You should set and will set giving a certain amount of money into the kingdom of God to achieve the things he has called your church to achieve. You know, you will give to other ministries during the course of your time on this earth than just the church that he's called you to be a part of because there are parachurch ministries out there that, uh, you know, I believe that local churches should support parachurch ministry, especially that they have a connection with. And we do that. Uh, but there are a lot of parachurch ministries that don't get much support from the local church and that the Lord will occasionally tap one of you, somebody uh, goes to another church, another ministry on the shoulder and say, give some money over here. He'll do that. But the bulk of your giving will go where he's assigned you. That's where your tithe is to go. And that's where the majority of your seed is to be sown. According to the word of God. And you need to get it right with the tithe. Because that's his promise to you that all of your needs will be met. He says if you are a tither, part of him proving himself to you, 
is that there'll be, he'll open a door of opportunity to you that will produce such blessings, such increase, such prosperity, that it'll do something in your heart and you won't be able to keep it all anymore and you're a giver. Well, you can't give something if there's still need in your life. So the supposition is then, in reading that passion pass, passage, is that your needs will be met if you're a tither. And that's the way it's taught by 90% of the people that I hear teaching on the tithe. It's still a remarkable thing to me that so few people in the body of Christ tithe. I'm thankful for this church. We are way above the national average. But there's still a lot of people who don't. And I want you to hear, you can't set God's vision for your life without being a tither. That's how your need gets met. That is God's covenant promise to you to meet your need. And until that need is met, you don't have seed. So tithing becomes an essential understanding and setting vision and then sowing seed beyond the tithe. And if you don't like hearing this about money, you are the one that needs to hear it the most. This isn't for the church's benefit. God take, he's, God's always taking care of this church, always. And I have made lots and lots of mistakes, and he has still taken care of the church, and he always will. So if nobody were to give a dime into this church, he'd bring it in for the, a part of this, a part of this congregation, whether you're here or online. You know, if nobody gave a dime, he'd bring it in from somewhere else if the church is doing what he's called us to do. So this isn't about the church. This is about you and your experience of God's blessing in the financial arena. It begins with the tithe. Just like we saw in the definition of vision, you got to keep the word. And then, in that context, he says, if you don't develop a vision, death will occur. You won't go anywhere with your life. So, you know, um, sometimes I feel resistance coming from certain quarters. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. If you do feel resistant to this message, that is an indicator to you that you need to get your act together. And you need to read the Word of God in these matters um, because you want to set a vision, you got to be a tither and you have to be a seed sower. And now you, you will have the financial capacity to pursue whatever definition of your vision God gives you, how it's shaped and what area of endeavor and what it looks like. I'm done. I've got to quit now. Uh, but these are things that are important for you to reflect on and important for you to know.